Hello everyone and welcome back to Sabbath School from Home. Life gets pretty busy and this particular week has been busy for all of us. So we're putting together a slightly shorter um, and slightly less uh, widely participatory version of this podcast this week, but we hope it's going to be really interesting still. My name's Lachlan and I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I'm Luke. And this week it's only the two of us, but... Uh, we have been known in the past to be able to carry on and sustain a conversation that should be plenty long enough to, <laughs> to edit into a podcast. We have been accused of this, yes. Now, the continuing this theme that we're exploring this whole uh, season of the podcast of, of the crucible, those tr- trying, testing, difficult times in life, um, the Sabbath School lesson has a title for this week called Seeing the Invisible. And this idea is picked up again in the, um, in the I guess, the title for the Thursday uh, part of the discussion, which just says, Still Faithful When God Cannot Be Seen. And this makes me think um, of the story in 2 Kings 6. So why don't we read this story, 2 Kings 6 from verse 8, and I think we'll read down to about verse 23. And then we'll see what thoughts come to mind about this idea of being faithful to God uh, when when we can't really see his agency or action or or sometimes godliness. All right. Well, you want to start um, and just read the first six or so and I'll do the last. Yeah, sure. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again Elisha warned the king, so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It is not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord to strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword and bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. 
So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Right. This, for as long as I can remember, has been a particular favourite story of mine. There's there's something I find light um, about the telling of it. It's There's a little bit it's, of humour. It's, it's shenanigans. Yeah. Um, Nobody gets hurt. Yeah. It's a lot lighter than the next story, <laughs> uh, which I just read to remind myself what happens, and it's not nice right right well let, let's leave it there at verse 23 but, but, yeah let's stay on this one for, for um tonight. so maybe that's maybe that's one of the reasons why i i feel a, a positive and and sort of warm uh, feeling in the memory of this of this story and reading it out just now um i mean it's every bit as good as i remember it from last time i read it and you can see vaguely um why this came to my mind when we were thinking about being faithful to God when we can't see him or or seeing the invisible, which was the wording of the of the title of the lesson. So there is a challenge here though. And the first question is, is Elisha exhibiting faith in this story? Well I think orthodoxy would say yes, of course. But there's there's something I want to point out that's really a really interesting phrase, which is in Verse 18, as the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Hmm. So this is not Elisha having faith in God's plan. This is Elisha deciding what to do. Hmm. And So if he has faith in anything, it's that God is going to follow his yeah. request <laughs> right right yes his instructions um it's it's not the sort of prayer that we are taught to pray right we are taught to pray your your will be done <laughs> on earth as is in heaven or, or more accurately we 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 are at least i think it's it's fairly safe to say that the type of prayer that we pray now in our church is not the type of prayer that elisha prays here we don't instruct God on what to do. We may say what we want or what we hope for, mm. Mm. but we don't give instructions that are then obeyed. Well, you use the word shenanigans. I, I was thinking of the word conjuring tricks. I, I can't help feeling in this story that Elisha is filling very accurately the role of the wizard in, in many other stories, <laughs> someone who is is both a, a calm authority, because Elisha's never flustered uh, throughout mm. this, this story, and who also has at his disposal um, powers beyond normal mortals, it seems. Powers of yeah. sight. And it's, it's real interesting, just as a side note, I'd always had in my head that Elijah mm. was the sort of the greater prophet. Okay. Because he's the one who gets taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, right? Mm. But Elijah has multiple instances of doubt. Yes. You know, at one point he, he runs away um, and goes and hides and feels like God's forsaken. And Elisha never does, as far as I remember. Mm. Um, and, and Elisha does many more what you would call miracles than Elijah does. Mm. Right. Um. Although Elijah is is the one who who does a resurrection, but I mean, uh, it's a bit silly to try and rank them. 
But uh, I was just struck, as you said, by how overt Elisha's, how visible his power is. You, I, I mean, I think it would be a lot easier to have faith when you've got a prophet walking around mm. doing literal, like, literal miracles. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's some clever storytelling resonances here. So the the request that you've you've noticed there from Elisha in verse 18, O Lord, please make them blind. And the Lord strikes them with blindness as Elisha had asked, as it says in the text. Well, the, the, just the preceding verses at the prayerful request of Elisha, the eyes, the blindness, so to speak, of the servant has been undone so that this motif of sight versus not seeing mm. is is clearly which, coming out which here begs in a... the question was elijah looking at the chariots of fire the whole time yeah well this if he could see them the whole time constantly yeah presumably they were with him everywhere all the time <laughs> then of course he wasn't afraid and what faith is required in that circumstance? Well, that's right. This was what was on my mind when I asked that question a few minutes ago. Was Elisha exhibiting faith here? If if Elisha was looking out the window at... Because the text, the text sets this up, right? It's really, really quite interesting. Um, verse 14. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many not soldiers, with many chariots and horses. And then what do we see when, what do we find when the servant's eyes are opened by the Lord? The hills are filled with horses and chariots. There's, it's exactly the same, just, just in mirrored. Um, mm. So, so I, I guess we can't really answer the question. Maybe Elisha wasn't seeing these chariots of fire, these angelic warriors defending him. He just did have faith that they were there. Maybe that is a great faith. Maybe he was very tangibly aware of their presence and thus comforted and emboldened by them. And maybe that's not quite the same thing as faith. And I guess that's sort of what we're discussing. Um, well, it, 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 it may be a type of faith, but it doesn't seem to be the sort of faith that we, we talk about hmm. today. The sort of faith we assume, which... Is, is faith in the unseen. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of things in this story. And, 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 and the old, te- you know, I think there's sort of, at least I've had an assumption there that faith is faith. And our faith, we're told, and, and I think it's a quote from the New Testament, about the, the people of great faith. And I remember we discussed it because Lot was listed as one of them. Right, yeah. And, and re- having read the story of Lot, I don't see him as someone of particularly great faith. It seems to be at least multiple types of faith. And the faith in the Old Testament is quite different to our faith. Mm. Um, it's it's not the same sort of thing What you, you feel. And, and you can look at most of these stories, which have overt miracles in them. Mm. And you have to wonder, well, if they can actually see evidence of God's power, hmm. then it's not faith in the unseen. Mm. It's right there in front of them. Mm. You know, it's pillars of fire by, by, by night and, and cloud by day and manna falling from the heaven and, and water coming out of rocks and fire from heaven burning up the altars 
and and axe heads floating and armies being blinded and mm. it's it's all of you know that that's not the stuff of our faith today yeah and i i suppose some would say it's because our faith is less but that i wouldn't just assume that right because isn't isn't the faith when there is no evidence isn't that the greater faith so is is it the faith that creates the miracles or is it the absence of the miracles that creates the faith? Right, you're making me think of the passage when Thomas doubts, but then does experience Jesus, and Jesus says, come and, you know, see the wounds. He doesn't say anything about faith, but he do- doesn't he say the word blessed? Like, blessed are they that will, that will follow after you and believe without seeing. Without seeing, mm. something like that, mm. yes. I mean, I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that for so many of us, the way we live our lives, the experience of living the Christian life is like being the servant of the man of God. I mean, am I right? This servant here of Elisha isn't yes. even named. It's like no, being, he's not named. It's like being the but servant. He, Ex- he is the audience surrogate. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that our experience is like being the servant, but not getting to the eyes opened point, just getting to the point where, where someone says, Oh, don't worry. You can have faith because, don't you know there there is this fact a, a army of angels guarding us or or whatever it might be but we are called on to simply believe or accept or trust um have faith uh, without the without the the tangibility of evidence that in this story the the servant um the servant does have his eyes open because it says there in verse 17, the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, hmm. he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And what's quite interesting is that his response to that is not even featured in the story. It's a, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he's, he's just there so Elisha can show off. Mm. <laughs> um, and the horses and chariots of fire don't do anything. They don't actually need to be there. Well, yeah, exactly right. Because because the, Elisha, of his own initiative, God's power, but, mm. you know, he then blinds the army, leads them to Samaria, mm. and unblinds them, saves their lives and sends them home. Um, mm. the, 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 the horses and chariots of fire don't <gasps> do anything except appear to Elisha's servant. Yeah. At Elisha's command. Okay, okay, that is that is an interesting detail, then, isn't it? So, are they? Maybe they are simply a mechanism of comfort, which in well, but uh, I suppose my question would be: immediately after he does that, presumably the servant is comforted mm. or terrified. I mean, <laughs> if I suddenly saw an army of fiery chariots and horses, I'd probably be terrified. Yeah, I guess so. Regardless of anything else um immediately after that elisha blinds the entire army and Mm. and uh and then tricks them into walking into the capital city of their enemy Uh, that would have comforted the servant too yes yes indeed could have just done that it's almost superfluous okay i've never thought about that before because it's a it's a in kids stories Mm. at least kids stories i experienced that that army of chariots and horses is made a big deal of and as you say there's symbolism there in in that it's the chariots and horses of 
the invaders mm. and chariots and horses being something the Israelites were always pretty poor in, yeah. historically, um, there's a lot of symbolism in it. But you could take it out of the narrative and nothing would change. Yeah. Practically speaking. Yeah. The sequence of events would be the same. Okay, so then that makes it... In what ways is this similar to the sorts of comments and remarks that might be made by by well-meaning people or by spiritual leaders? Um, you know, Elisha here is a prophet. Because um, it, starts, it starts just with the assertion. Verse 16, Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Right. So that, that assertion is... Maybe not quite word for word, but certainly that's exactly the sentiment that I have, I have encountered, I've heard, um, you know, from pulpits, from from, uh, you know, leaders of various Sabbath kinds. Sabbath school lessons. Sabbath school lessons. Um, is that is that is that is that effective? The, 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 don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. That's intended to be comforting. Does that work? I mean, we're talking about. The sorts of situations where where some where we or someone is really feeling somewhat overwhelmed by the lack of God's presence. I, I think it would it would work very effectively if you could back it up <laughs> with a visual display of of more on our side than on theirs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I I I think that that's the point I keep coming back to is. I can't tell in this story if Elisha has faith or not. Mm. And if he if he doesn't, it's not because... And I have to be really clear about this. I'm not meaning if he's a bad person or a doubter. Mm. I just mean he doesn't need faith because he has so much evidence of God's presence yeah. in his life because he's a prophet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he doesn't need faith. Um, I suppose it's the thing. The young man and his servant clearly doesn't have faith. Mm. And doesn't display any faith because his his fear is immediately countered with hard evidence. Yes. Yes. So he, he has no opportunity to exhibit faith. The the one in the story who to me I mean, the the, the people in the story who who display the most faith in the sense of trust mm. Is the soldiers who let themselves be led by a random stranger? <laughs> I know, I know that bit. I, I... Very trusting of them. <laughs> Lots of faith they put in this random guy who could be taking them anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the king of Samaria, or the king of Israel rather, uh, and and there's plenty of evidence in the next story that suggests he probably regretted this choice. Trusts El- El- Elisha's instructions not to kill them. <laughs> Yeah, and I think in that he displays faith, for which he's not really well repaid. If we read the next story, and that's a bit problematic oh, okay. to me when I think about it. Yeah. Um, okay. But those seem to me to be the the evidences of faith in this story. There's. One- I'm not saying that Elisha does didn't have faith or doesn't have faith. I, I don't know mm. is the answer to that, but there's no evidence of it in this story. Right. So there's the difference is the difference is if you are someone who is unsure of where your next meal will come, and you say, "I'll ha- I have faith, I'll have dinner tonight," and you actually don't have any food in your possession, that's that's something that a situation where one would need to have faith. Whereas if you come home to a house that has a pantry and a kitchen reasonably well stocked with with you know, um, sustaining and nourishing food, and you say, "Well, I, I have faith that I'll have dinner tonight." That's that's 
that's almost cheapening what you what you mean by the word faith, isn't it? But th- yeah, I think that's a really good analogy, um, and I think it's it, it's it's really relevant to the way that we think about faith, um, because it's it's self contradictory. Mm. On the one hand, we say you, faith in things unseen, right, and things that we don't know, and we hold that up as the highest standard of faith. Mm. And on the other hand, we say, if you have enough faith, like the prophets and heroes of, of the Bible, yeah. you will have actual miracles, yeah. which are tangible evidence of God's power, and therefore contradict the first idea about what faith is. Okay. Okay, that's quite interesting. There's one other, there's one other group of people that exhibit at least some faith, and it's a sort of a faith in God, almost indirectly. I'm thinking verse 12. Um, the officers of the king of Aram. It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your your bedroom. They, they have some confidence in the power of God, Elisha's God. Hmm. Now, okay, they're also trying to save their own necks because if one of them is a traitor then then they're probably fairly fairly immediately doomed so okay not so sure and it's verse 13 is i i mentioned there's a sort of humor in here to me immediately having just found out that elisha has this divine empowerment to know in advance the plans of the king of aram the king of aram says well, go and find out where he is so I can send troops to seize him. <laughs> How is that going to work if Elisha's going to yes. know the troops are coming? Well, quite. The king of Aram certainly doesn't have faith. No. Oh. Um, but his officers do. Uh, that, that's an interesting point. It's interesting, then, that the ones who have faith are largely here not the Israelites mm. in, in the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, Elisha's just a wizard. He just goes around doing miracles. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he makes people's... Actually, no, I was wrong. Elisha is the one who brings the son back to life. It's not Elijah. Right, yes. Um, he heals Naaman of his leprosy. He, Like, it. it's... To, to me, it's... That sort of thing is... I find it hard to reconcile that with the concept of faith mm. in an unseen God. The God of the Old Testament is very seen, yeah. not as an idol, importantly, but but through actions mm. and, and chosen individuals. So I think there are big parts of chronological time in the Old Testament era where that's not really true. The Exodus, the pe- the people of Israel after many generations are crying out and they're saying, well, God, where are you? Like, we're slaves. Mm. We're being really badly treated. Where are you? And then later in the Babylonian exile, you know, leading up to the time of Daniel, I think that there's, oh, no, no, from the time of Daniel, leading up to the time of like Nehemiah and um, and and some of the minor prophets. Uh, I think there are big big chunks of time where the people of Israel, the people who think of themselves as the people of God, tangibly, their life is ev- is evidence of God's absence. <laughs> it, yeah. it, the, that's the well, way they would be uh, identifying so it. Here's, here's the question then, is 
to, take, to pick the first example that you referred to, those people of Israel in Egypt crying out for God's deliverance because they were being oppressed and he was nowhere to be seen. Are they not displaying great faith? Yeah. Uh, because they're expecting God to come and help them. In, I think so. Even though there's no evidence that he exists yeah. to them at that time. Yeah. You know? So that's an example to me in the Old Testament of tremendous faith because they are holding God to his word. And David as well. Uh, I think David's got, you know, lots of the Psalms are talking about suffering and oppression and you're supposed to be helping me, God, and you're not. Mm. But I think the the very act of expecting goodness mm. from God is an act of faith. Mm. Um but again, you, you see it displayed most when God is not tangibly there. Yeah, okay. Okay, so in some ways in some ways the the framing of the of the topic for this week is is a slightly curly framing because it's sort of saying, Well, how can how can we keep our faith even when it seems like God is absent? Uh, you know, when when we're we can't see evidence um but what what we're sort of identifying in this conversation is actually it's at those times almost exclusively at those times that faith even means anything Mm. um when when presented with with the vision the opening of eyes to see the horses and chariots of fire then okay that's awesome uh in every use of that word but it's not it's no longer quite faith at that point it's mm. it's confronting new data yeah and and it, it it may be an event that generates faith later on mm. you know as a memory well that was something i was going to come back to actually so i don't think i could be wrong but i don't think that this unnamed young man who's the servant of elisha features in any of the rest of the stories um that would be that would be interesting to know but but we can speculate surely surely this experience was was to some extent life altering um mm. he's described as young so what what would have been the flow on impact of this kind of experience i have to think that it would have made it a little easier for this person next time they encountered a t- tricky and tough situation to be able to comfort themselves with words mm. and say, well, don't be afraid. There are more on our side than on theirs. But there you go. If it makes it easier, is that not less faith? <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> See, th- this is what I mean. We have these two contradictory ideas mm. and we don't reconcile them at any point. We just keep talking. We keep talking about faith as something which is needed um, and-, and which involves belief in the darkest of moments in the shadow of the valley of death mm. when there is there is no reason to hope mm. that is when we have faith and at the same time we talk about you know because we've got quotes and and i i don't have a good answer you know where jesus says if you have faith the side of mustard seed you can move mountains mm. so it's all about faith as being this thing which creates and maybe we really miss the point when we focus on the idea of faith creating tangible miracles. Mm. Elisha, perhaps, was not blinding these people through his faith. Yeah. That, that, maybe that's 
where the misunderstanding okay. is. It was some other element of his relationship with God. Yeah, it's 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 more by which miracles were done, not faith. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm. Um, because if that is how faith works, the more you have of it, the more miracles you can do. Then it would be a self-reinforcing feedback loop. Yeah, the more faith you had, the more reinforcement your faith had because you had actual evidence, yeah. which again incompatible with the idea of faith. Um, and then that would let you do even more, and then you'd have even more faith. And anybody who started off with even a little bit of faith would end up being able to perform superhuman right. feats of, of miracles. You see, and that clearly isn't what happens. I've met lots of people with lots of faith, mm. Mm. none of whom were building their way towards demigod status. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's quite quite true. That's a really interesting little. Um, logical construction that now that now that you've expressed it, it actually sounds quite obvious. Um. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's 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 all to say if I had to pick between which two of these concepts of faith mm. is the problematic one, I would say it's that one. Yeah, because there's no there's no evidence for that now, certainly. And and I think if you look closely at these Old Testament stories and you consider the possibility that. It was some other aspect of their relationship with God mm. and their part in God's plan that was the source of these miracles and not just calling it faith because I don't think the Old Testament calls it faith. Yeah, and it's it's only relatively small number of, of quite outstanding individuals that have this well, sort of thing happen. And it, but it's not just outstanding individuals. It is people in the right place at the right time. Mm. You know, Moses mm. famously mm. wasn't a good speaker, right? Um, but it was a place and time. And and so, you know, I think that is the idea of faith that I find more problematic because not only is it not stack up today, but I think also it might not be very biblical. We perhaps overburden faith mm. with too big of a role in in the narratives of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and the other idea of, of faith, the one of faith being something that it genuinely is, it's it's what we have when we don't have anything else. Mm. Um, I think that that to me is the is the is the faith that makes more sense. Right. So actually, there is there something slightly practical, slightly comforting, because what I'm what I'm thinking about is well, what what then what then can we do to what can we say? What, how can we help someone who is in a particular crucible of life that's that's leaving them really uh, feeling unable to see God's presence, God's involvement? Well, I think that perhaps the fact that that bothers them, the fact that they are bothered by. You know, the lack of God's so presence. The fact that the Israelites in Egypt are crying out to God and saying, Hang on, God, where are you? I can't see you. Things are pretty bad. The fact that they're actually bothered by that is evidence of their faith. Mm. Right? Because it's them it's them saying, I'm sure it's got to be different from this. You know, this it bothers me that you're not that I'm not feeling your presence here, God, because I, I feel like you, 
I, I, I think you're meant to be here. That, that's that's mm. a that's a sort of expression of faith. That's a, an expression of faith. Yeah, it's it's Job refusing to curse God. It's David mm. writing a, a psalm of lament. It's it's the Israelites in Egypt mm. calling out to God um, because they're being oppressed. It's the Israelites in Babylon yeah. um, receiving comfort from Isaiah and Nehemiah. Yeah, um, it's 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 those things. Um, that to me anyway seem to display the most faith. Oh, there's another really really good one. A- Abram arguing with God over over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh uh, yeah, you know a tremendous amount of faith in the goodness of God. Mm. That you know cheekily you might say seems to have been misplaced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Um, but then you have. And there's other great examples of it as well now that I think of Jonah's a, a fascinating one because he, he he has faith in God and he's also annoyed yes. that God is good because <laughs> he I, wants Nineveh to be destroyed. That's it. I knew you were like this, God. But God isn't going to do it. I knew you were slow to anger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I think that we might leave it there. We We haven't... I don't think uncovered any great and and marvelous profundities, um, but I think it is a really interesting point to think about the these different aspects of faith. What you've highlighted for me in this episode is the way that some of the different aspects of what we commonly hold in our mind as the package of faith are actually incompatible. Mm. Um, so it, it's a it's an interesting idea to think them through a little bit further. Um, as for whether, whether I'm going to pray that I, that I do get to see the horses and chariots of fire filling the hillsides, um, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) Not quite sure. Well, sorry, I'd love to contribute to closing remarks, but I'm too busy coughing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as, as I said at the very start, we, we have, um, kept it perhaps slightly shorter. Uh, We're going to leave it there. If you do have thoughts about how to best um, handle a situation where where we ourselves or when others close to us might be, um, you know, really feeling an inability to to, uh, identify God's presence. If you've got thoughts, comments, you can email them to sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode and we look forward to you listening in next week.